0: How are you guys today? Are you excited about being in church, or are you excited that it's snowing? Church, both, both. Um, I I promise you, well, I was going to say, by the time we get out of church, there might be some bread and milk left, but maybe not. Um, I think if we left right now, the shelves would probably be empty. But that's alright. Here in the south we get excited about a little bit of snow, even if it's just white rain. Well, uh, anyway, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the book of Genesis. That's the first book in the, in the Bible, chapter 42, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 18. Also, if you will reach inside of your worship bulletin and uh, find your message notes there's, uh, there are some fill-in-the-blanks there for you, and, and you can just sort of think of message notes as a guide to help you um, go through the sermon and, uh, and follow along. There's a place in the back for you to uh, write in some additional things maybe that the Lord puts on your mind. And um, anyway, if those serve you, take those out. And then um, if you're a first-time guest with us today... Uh, make sure that you go by our information table and pick up a copy of our book, Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong. And then if you're here today and you don't have a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. So um, uh, just at the information table, you can pick one up. Those are free. You don't have to pay for them. Just uh, pick it up and take it with you. So um, before we really get started good, I want to give you... um, kind of what I'm calling a disclaimer. I love Jesus more than anything or anyone, but I also love the Carolina Panthers. Now, I don't, I don't love them the same. It's not even close. There's not even a close second to how much I love Jesus and how much we, sh- we should love Jesus, but, but I, I love the Panthers. And um most of us in this room have an NFL team that we love or that we follow. One of the things I love about Rocky River Church is that we have people in our church from all over the country. I mean, literally, we have people from Ohio, we have people from New Jersey, from New York, um, California, the Midwest, places like Michigan. Um, we have a few people from foreign countries like California. Uh, no, no, I'm just kidding about that part. Well, well, so what that means is that we have all kind of football fans in our church. And I love that too. We have Redskins fans. We have Cowboys fans. We have Bengals fans. I'm not sure why, but we have, no, I'm kidding. There too. We have Bengals fans, Browns fans, Steelers fans. Uh, we've, we've got all kind of fans in our church. And again, I, I, I love that. And I believe that a city, including a city's churches, should be excited whenever their team is involved in something as big as the NFL uh, playoffs, like the Panthers are right now. And uh, I, I didn't realize that until a few years ago. I have a great friend. His name's Tommy Duke. And uh, Tommy's not in the ministry now because he's had some health problems. But uh, Tommy started a brand new church in Pittsburgh. Do we have any Steelers fans here today? Steelers fans? Where you guys at? Come on, usually if I say, do we have any Steelers fans, y'all are like buck wild and crazy. Well, um, Tommy was, was not really a Steelers fan, but he moved to Pittsburgh to start this church and they, check, check out the name of the church, it was Iron City Church. Now, is that a cool name for a church? Even if you're a Patriots fan, that's a cool name for a church, don't you think? And uh, what what Tommy taught me is that a church can reach people from all over the country that have their own loyalties to their team, and they can still celebrate the home team whenever they're doing good. And I, I agree with Tommy. And so the reason I'm saying that right now is because today's message is called Keep Pounding That's a Carolina Panthers phrase, just in case you you don't know. And so the the message has a kind of a Panthers title and and theme, but I think that even if you're a Seahawks fan, uh, after the message is over, you will understand that today's message is not about football, it's not about the Panthers. It's about putting your faith and trust in God even when you're going through some of the toughest situations that human beings face in life. It's not about football. It's about faith. So to those of you who are not Carolina Panthers fans, no offense. But with that in mind, take a look at the video coming up on the screens behind me. Here There are more important things in the football game, aren't there? Keep pounding means persevering over your obstacles. It means that when you face tough things in your life, even a life-threatening illness, you keep going. You, You don't give up. You don't quit. Quitting's not an option, you just keep pounding. There are lots of different kinds of famines that people face. Sometimes it's a famine of losing someone that you love very much. Sometimes the famine in your life is you lose your marriage or another important relationship. Sometimes the famine is financial. In Genesis 42, there's a famine in Egypt that's really all over the known world and people are literally starving to death And Egypt happened to be the only place that still had food. And the reason they still had food is because the hand of God was on Joseph. And God had given Joseph a famine plan, a plan to stockpile grain during seven years of good so that they could make it through seven years of famine. And because Egypt was the only place that had food at that time, the whole world was coming to Egypt for food, including Joseph's brothers. Now keep this in mind, Joseph had not seen his brothers until he saw them in the, the bread line in Egypt for more than 20 years. And they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And, and if you, you think about it, and you have to kind of keep this in the back of your mind, because if you don't, then the drama just sort of goes away. But the last time before the bread line, the, the last time Joseph saw his brothers, they were counting their money that they had collected after selling him to slave traders. But now everything's changed. He's the prime minister in Egypt. He's accused his brothers of being spies and he's thrown them into a prison until he can figure out what to do with them. And that's where we pick up today in verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, this is his brothers, they've been in this jail for three days now, do this and you will live for I fear God. In other words, I'm, I'm gonna treat you differently than how I told you. I told you I was gonna keep all of you here, send one of you back to your father to bring back your youngest brother who was Benjamin and Joseph's only full brother. They had the same father and the same mother. But I fear God, so I've changed my mind. I'm not gonna do things that way. If you are honest men, and remember these guys had said they were honest men. He said, let your brothers stay here in prison, one of them, while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households but you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. You hear what that means? You understand what he's saying to them? He said, okay, I'm gonna let nine of you go back. I'm gonna keep one. You take this grain back and you feed your families. Make sure you come back and bring your youngest brother because that's the only way you live. I'm the prime minister of Egypt, and if you don't come back, I'm adding to this, but it's essentially what he's saying. I'm going to take Pharaoh's army, and I'll go to Canaan, and I will find you, and you will die. Verse 21, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded uh, pleaded with us for his life, but we did not listen. that's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. He's kind of a, I told you so, sort of guy. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. An Egyptian, even if he knew Hebrew, he would never have used that language. It was beneath him. And so one of the ways that Joseph was able to keep his brothers from knowing who he was as he is yelling at them in Egyptian, but the interpreter is speaking in Hebrew so that they can understand it. And man, it was an intense moment between them. But these brothers, I want to make sure that you understand exactly what's happening here. These brothers are realizing the gravity of what they've done. And they've been living with this for years. It's been eating at them. Have you ever done something in life and you thought it was the right thing to do at the time, but then later you regret it and you live with that regret for years and years? Some of you are living with regrets now from things that you did years ago and you never made them right. Verse 21 says that Joseph turned away from them and began to weep, but then he came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph's emotions are all over the place. Egyptian men didn't cry, and if they cried, they didn't cry in public. And so Joseph would have never stood there so that these men, certainly not these foreigners, could see him cry. And so he went to a, a whole other place, maybe another room or even out of the building, so that he could cry. And the word weep here, like we talked about last week, doesn't mean that he just had a little tear in his eye. And it was just a tender moment for him. This was the kind of crying that you do when you cry so hard. You're sucking air and snot, and you have a hard time regaining your composure. But once he regained his composure, he came out and he was all business. Verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and give them provisions for their journey. Do you you realize what's happening here? I, I would hope I could act the same way, but I'm not I'm not sure. These brothers did something to him horrible. They sold him into slavery. As far as they knew, they were given him over to his death. And here is Joseph, and he's given these guys grain, and he's putting their, their, their money back in the sacks, in their sacks, gave them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped, because they're about 300 miles from home, at the place that they stopped for the night, one of them opened up his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw the silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, what is this that God has done to us? You know what's happening with these brothers? God has gotten their attention. They don't know what's going on, but because this is so extraordinary, they realize that God's hand must be in this. And indeed it was. And God certainly has their attention. You know, sometimes God will use a famine or a crisis in our lives to get our attention, to bring about change. Usually usually as human beings, we don't change just because it's the right thing to do. Usually we only change when we feel the heat. Usually we don't start working on our diet until uh, our doctor says you have high blood pressure, or you are this close to becoming diabetic, or your heart is in bad shape, and if you don't change your diet, you're going to die. Sometimes God will use a famine to get our attention, verse 29. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But he said to them, or but we said to them, we are honest men, we are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father, one is no more. Of course, they're talking about Joseph. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring the youngest brother to me so that I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land." These men trusted their father, even when they didn't always like him. If Jacob was anything, he was a survivor. He was somewhat of a cheat, a terrible father at times, but he was a survivor. And so these guys knew that if anybody could figure out a way out of this situation, it would be Jacob, so they told their dad the whole story. Verse 35, as they were emptying their sacks, There in each man's sack was a pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father, Jacob, said to them, you have deprived me of my children. And I wonder what he means by that. You remember the story years ago that these brothers told their dad was that Joseph was eaten by a wild animal. And the only thing they had to show for it was part of the coat of many colors. But that's been about 20 years now. So I wonder if Jacob saw through the story. I wonder if um, maybe at different times from different sons, he heard different versions of the story because some of them, maybe they had a guilty conscience or they just didn't, have, didn't know how to all hold to the same story. I don't know. But, but it sounds like he's blaming them You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more because remember Jacob to him he thinks that Joseph is dead and now he assumes that Simeon will die in this Egyptian prison. And now you want to take Benjamin? Now now you want to take the last son from Rachel, the the next best son to to Joseph. And then he says this phrase and Just keep it on the back burner. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. Everything is against me. Have you ever said that? Yeah, I have too. Maybe when you were going through some famine in your life, some crisis, you said, nothing goes right in my life. Everything's against me. Nothing good ever happens to me. Verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. And trust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you his brother is dead, and he is the only one I have left. To the, I was going to say to the end, but we're not to the end. But, but to this very point right here, Jacob is just a terrible father. And if I'm wrong about that, one day I'll apologize to him in heaven, but this is terrible. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. He basically says, I've lost two sons, Joseph and Simeon, and I will not send Benjamin with you. I think there are at least three primary lessons that we can learn here to use whenever we go through a famine or a crisis in our lives. If you're taking notes, write these down. Here's the first one. Whenever you're going through a famine, whenever you're going through a hard situation in your life, you have to take action. You have to take action. In other words, you have to do something about it. When Genesis 42 opens, we see that the famine that Joseph had predicted has happened. They're about two years into it. Everybody is affected by it. Even Joseph's brothers and his father back in Canaan. And the only place to get food is in Egypt. Joseph saw his sons basically just sitting there, not doing a whole lot about it. And so he says to them, looking back in Genesis 42, verses one and two, why do you just sit here and keep looking at each other? I've heard there is grain in Egypt, go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. It's hard to imagine that these guys are just sort of sitting back, watching their food supplies just grow smaller and smaller and smaller. They aren't doing a thing about it. They're just looking at each other. And so Jacob has to come in and basically give them a good kick in the pants and say, guys, we're all gonna starve to death if you don't get food. There's food in Egypt. Go there and get some. Go and get some food so that we all don't starve. What do you think they're waiting on? you think they're waiting on somebody else to come in and fix the problem? Because a lot of us do that when we have problems. We, we want somebody else to come in and save us, or maybe, maybe these guys are just so proud. Maybe they're too proud to go and ask for help this has been a wealthy family. Before Before this famine hit, these guys were wealthy. They, they owned lots and lots of land. At one time, I'm sure they're drastically dwelling, but at one time they had enormous flocks. That's the way they measured wealth in their day. I mean, these guys at one time, they were, they were rolling in it. They, they were doing very well. And so they're used to depending on themselves, and now they can't. And to have to go to Egypt, of all places, to find food, maybe they just felt like it was beneath them. Or again, maybe they just needed a good kick in the pants from their dad to say, you've got to do something about this. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. In fact, I don't want you to, but what is the famine in your life that you are ignoring? What's wrong in your life that you're pretending doesn't exist? What is the famine or the crisis in your life that you're hoping somebody else is going to come in and fix for you? Why aren't you doing anything about it? Why aren't you doing something about your health? Why aren't you doing something about your finances? What has you so afraid in your life that you're just paralyzed and and won't take action? Well, let this message be your kick in the pants. To take action, to do something about it. Listen to me. Doing nothing will only make it worse. Doing nothing will destroy you. Doing nothing about your marriage will finish it off. You've gotta take action, you've got to do something. I've, uh, I've been reading this book called Spy Secrets That Can Save Your Life. Um, it's a book by Jason Hansen, I, 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 I dig it. Um, maybe you would too if you read it. He, he's a former CIA official who now trains people, especially people who travel internationally, um, how to protect themselves while they're away. And one of the things that he says to do in in his book, whenever you are, um, maybe if you're trapped in an international hotel somewhere, or even a domestic hotel, or you're being tracked, or someone is after you, he says that you've got to get off the mark. Get off the X, you get that X marks the spot, He says, you can't just stand there. People who just stand still die. He says, you've got to get off the mark. You've got to move. You've got to do something about the problem that you're facing. Survivors move. People who stand still and do nothing die. The same is true about your crisis, your famine. These boys could have just stayed right there in Canaan, not done a thing about their famine, and all of them starved to death. Here's the second lesson. Take ownership. Take ownership of the famine, take ownership of the crisis. Listen again to Genesis 42, 21 and 23. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. You remember the setting? Joseph is standing right there with them. These boys are talking in Hebrew. Joseph has been talking to them through an interpreter. They don't realize he understands Hebrew. So they say this literally right in front of him so that he can hear it. We saw how distressed he was, Joseph, when he pleaded uh, with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress is coming on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. What these guys are doing is they're taking ownership. They're taking responsibility for their part in all of this. This made a a big impact on Joseph because the, these brothers could have justified what they did to Joseph. They, they, they could have said, um, well, the reason that we're here is because our, our father is a terrible father. He, he played favorites amongst us. He, he pitted us against each other. It, it, it's his fault that we're here. Or they could have said, well, we did what we did to Joseph because he was a spoiled brat and." Mom and dad loved him more than us, and so it's his fault. They don't do any of that. They're saying we are currently in this famine because of actions we have taken. I don't believe in karma, but I do believe in what the Bible calls sowing and reaping. These men were reaping a harvest from the seeds they had planted more than 20 years ago. Principles have promises to them. The Bible promises that you will reap what you sow. What you plant, you will harvest. Have you ever heard the saying, everything happens for a reason? You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that? Everything happens for a reason? Have you ever used that phrase, everything happens for a reason? Yeah, me too. Um, You know, sometimes the reason is that we make terrible decisions. And I know you don't like hearing this any more than I do, but the reality is that the famine you're in right now is probably, at least partly, your fault. You can't blame MasterCard and Visa for all of the credit card debt that you have I mean, I understand that maybe they gave you a card that you couldn't really pay for, but they didn't make you walk up to the counter at Best Buy and drop it down on a brand-new TV. I mean, you, can, you can blame McDonald's for their good French fries and that your weight issue is all their fault, but they fry the fries, but you have to walk up there, pay for them, and eat them. I can't blame Mountain Dew for this pulpit bumper belly I got right here. And I have to own this. And that's my point. When you're in a famine, when you're in a crisis, even if it's not all your fault, you have to own it. You have to take responsibility for it. And that's an important step to take if you're ever going to get out of your famine. You have to take responsibility for it. Again, even if it's not all your fault, you're the one that's having to deal with it. So get over that and deal with it. Take action. Take ownership. And then number three, take next steps of faith. There is a huge difference, a huge difference between Joseph and Jacob. Every situation that Joseph faced, every crisis in his life, he faced it with faith. He didn't know what was going to happen when his brother sold him into slavery. He, he didn't know uh, what was going to happen to him in his life when he was falsely accused of rape and then wrongly imprisoned and forgotten about, but in all of those situations, he faced them with faith in God. Even though he didn't understand what was happening or even why it was happening, he believed in God, he loved God, and he trusted God. And so he just kept getting up every day and doing the best that he could. He just got up every day and put his faith and trust in the Lord. But then you contrast that with Jacob. When he heard the story of his sons about everything that had happened in Egypt, his response is, everything is against me. He was feeling sorry for himself, and it's okay to do that for a little while, but you can't stay there. Jacob seems to live there. He lives in, in self-pity. And, and the difference between these two men, between Joseph and his father Jacob, is that Joseph saw the hand of God in everything in his life and he trusted in God. He believed that God would work it all out. But Jacob never once says to his sons, guys, listen to me. I don't know how all this is going to work out, but I trust God. Let's just do this because we see that God is at work here. Trust him and take next steps of faith and leave the outcome to him. When you are going through a crisis, when you are living in a family, you have two options. You can either trust God and face it with faith, or you can face it with fear. You can be strong in the Lord, or you can be weak in yourself. You can either move forward trusting God Or you can just keep trusting yourself and your feelings. Feelings. I'm a feelings person. Anybody else in here a feelings person? You know why some of us have never reached our goals? You know why some of us have never never worked through the the current famine or crisis we're living in? It's because of our feelings. You can't trust your feelings. You have to trust in the Lord. Do, do you remember maybe as a kid, these, um, I think they were in coloring books or activity books, but it, it was Connect the Dots, you know what these are, where, where They're dots, they're numbered, and if you just connect all the dots, it makes a picture, and then you can color it later. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done these? In life, the only way you connect the dots is when you look back. You can't connect them going forward, because you don't know what's going to happen in the future not in the future 10 years from now, not in the future 10 minutes from now. To be a person of faith who trusts in God with the future, that means that you believe that in the future, God will connect the dots. You can't see how it will all work out, neither could Joseph. Joseph. But Joseph believed that God would connect the dots. You have to believe that God will connect the dots. You can't see how it's all going to work out. Trust that God will connect the dots. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That means that you believe that God will work it out, God will connect the dots. It's not your job to figure out how it all works out in the end. It's your job, your responsibility to trust the God who is in control. Will you stand with me for prayer? I'd like to pray for your famine. I'd like to pray for your crisis. Do you have a famine? I do. So I'm gonna pray for mine, but again, I wanna pray for yours too. If you're going through some hard time in your life, some struggle, some tough thing that's bigger than you, I want to invite you to just come and stand at the altar for prayer. You're not going to have to tell anybody what your famine is, but just by coming down to the altar, it says, I have a famine, I have a crisis, and I'm not going to trust myself to make it through this. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm gonna live as a man or a woman of faith. I believe that God is bigger than this crisis. He's bigger than this famine. I can't see how it all is gonna work out in the end, but I trust that God is in control and he'll work it out. He'll make things right. I don't have to be the one that fixes everything. I just have to be the one who is faithful. So, Lord, right now, just in this moment of prayer, we lift up our famine, we lift up our crisis. Lord, I don't know what each person here is dealing with, but you do. It doesn't matter if I know. You know. Lord, for some of us in our famine, it creates a crisis of belief. We want to trust you, but it seems like there's just something inside of us that makes us want to be in control, even when that's impossible. So Lord, just as a matter of next steps and faith in you, we hand our famine over to you. That doesn't mean that we're not going to take action. That, that doesn't mean that we're not going to take responsibility for our part in the famine. But ultimately, we're going to take next steps of faith in you. And Lord, that, that may lead us in a different direction than our, our heart is telling us to go in. But Lord, we're gonna lean into you, we're gonna search your scriptures for answers, we're gonna pray to you for answers, and we're just gonna take the next step that you give us. When you tell us to take a step, we're gonna take that step, not knowing exactly where it's gonna lead, but we're gonna, again, trust you to be the God who connects all the dots in the future. We're not gonna credit luck, we're not gonna blame fate and karma. We're just gonna trust you. So Lord, we need your strength. We need your courage. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. So we ask for those things. And we ask them in the great name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and those who agreed said, amen. God bless you guys. So I wonder if it's still snowing outside. Anybody know? Looks like white rain to me. There's there's green everywhere, so there's not anything sticking. So I think we're okay. Good good luck at Lowe's or Publix or wherever you go for bread and milk. And uh, and I love you guys. And I hope you have a great day. There's some great band up here. They have a song we're going to have a little bit of fun with, and uh, they will dismiss you. Um, In just a little while, I'm going to leave to go to the game. So um, pray for me.